Hey there, Sitwits. I like to imagine that the first thing most people do in the morning is check CitiesMag.com. And the second thing most people do is check their email. Well, now there's a way to do both. You can check your electronic mail and CitiesMag.com at the same time by simplifying your life and subscribing to our newsletter. It's once a week, and it's filled with our best content from that week, whether it's articles, podcasts, photo galleries. Sometimes you'll land a couple exclusives in there. So do the right thing and subscribe today. It's very easy. Go to cdsmag.com, right on the front page. There's a nice little spot on the right-hand side. Plug in your email, and boom, you're set. Sign up your mom, sign up your best friend, sign up your coach. Just don't have them miss out. The best of Cities Mag, all in one place, once a week, the Cities Mag newsletter. My guest for today's show is Kyle Dennehy, who is a freelance track and field journalist and just covered the U18 World Championships in Kenya. So I gave him a ring. Let's start the show. All right, welcome to another episode of the Studious Mag podcast. This one's a little bit of a bonus one, a little surprise we had in the middle of the week. We just had the episode with Dathan Ritzenhain, uh, but I'm going to start doing more episodes with uh, people who aren't really athletes or coaches, but they're still personalities within the sport and know it pretty well. So uh, without further ado, I've got uh, Kathal Dunahy here from his work has been in The Guardian, Running Times, uh, Runner's World, all over the place. He's a freelance journalist from Ireland, uh, so welcome to the show. And uh, first off, I guess I gave a little bit of a brief introduction there, but uh, for those listeners who don't know a whole lot about you, I guess uh, we, you and I met four or five years ago, and we've been like the young guys in the mix zone the last couple of years. Uh, why don't you tell the, the listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh Thanks for having me on, Chris, first of all. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're probably not going to be the long guy, or the young guys too much longer around that mix zone. There's a few uh, up-and-comers um, making us look distinctly uh, middle-aged, but uh, <laughs> I'm a former athlete myself. Wasn't ever exactly elite, but uh, a college runner, and then eventually injuries uh, made me quit the sport in my 20s and then got into journalism and have continued my uh, obsessive running ways uh, through writing these days, mainly for like IAAF, uh, a couple of Irish newspapers, Runner's World, and generally just whoever whoever will buy my stories. Um, so, yeah, very much enjoying the, the track and field lifestyle. A couple of people are probably listening to this now and thinking, wait a second, that voice sounds familiar. And it's because you're also famous <laughs> for that depths of hell call. Has that died down for in the past, I guess that was a year ago, right? A year or two ago? Yeah, it was April 2016 it was, so a little over a year ago. Um, it has died down, thankfully. Um, the athlete, actually, who did that amazing comeback, Phil Healy, was running tonight, and it still gets brought up pretty much every race she's run on any like, <laughs> live stream or broadcast. And, uh, yeah, I still meet people, like, even though I generally call myself a writer i meet people at meetings and you know they've never they've never read the stories you write and then you just mention the depths of hell relay comeback and they go <laughs> oh you're that guy so uh yeah i'm still clinging on to that 15 minutes as long as i possibly can so you went on dan patrick what was the craziest part i guess like who was was dan patrick the, the biggest call you got 
I think so, yeah. Dan Patrick was kind of nuts. And the call actually dropped midair because of uh, my dodgy connection. But uh, to be on, like, I didn't really know the Dan Patrick show as well at the time because I hadn't really spent enough time in the States. But since in the last year, I've probably spent, like, half that time in the States. So, like, to get to know how big a deal being on the Dan Patrick show was after that kind of made me realize uh, how huge it was. I think I think it had either was it Kobe Bryant or Shaquille O'Neal on the day after. So uh yeah, <laughs> me and me and Shaq, yeah, following up. We're, we're really on a par. <laughs> uh so all right, you mentioned that you've spent some time in the States in the past year or so. Uh have you been bouncing around pretty much or what's because I feel like I see you everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a <laughs> I kind of get around all right. Being freelance allows me that. And thankfully through some opportunities sometimes with like people like Runner's World um, help me get to some events um, to cover. So I'll be covering London for them. And then IWF especially, I get to a few different events with them. So I covered two Diamond Leagues for IWF this year. And then I was covering the World Under-18 Championships for them. And I also got to cover the World Relays for them. So yeah, very thankful for those opportunities and uh, long may it continue. So that's the main reason why I wanted to bring you on this week is uh, you were just in Kenya and there's a lot of talk about that meet just mainly because we keep seeing the photos uh, that have come out with stands that are packed. But before we get to, to that, uh, real quick, this is your first time heading out there, right? Yeah, I'm uh, 29 years old and I've been a distance running obsessive for about 28 of those years. So uh, I was long overdue a trip to Kenya and thankfully... Uh, I asked when my flights were booked whether I could uh, just book them a little earlier to enable me a chance to go around. So I kind of I booked my own flight then up to Eldoret and uh, went up to E10, obviously the home of champions. Uh, stayed at Lorna Kiplagat's camp for a week up there. Um, weren't too many serious athletes, I guess, at this time of year because it's kind of the rainy season um, and the kind of marathon groups hadn't really, they're only kind of just starting to get together up there. But uh, it was super cool to just see E10 to see Eldoret and then finally back to Nairobi for a week for the for the world under 18 championships. What were the expectations because uh, when you're going from somewhere like the United States or somewhere out in Europe and I remember I experienced this last summer when it's like I got so excited to go to this one place and for me it was Rio and I was so excited, but then the nerves really settle in the day or two before and I was like, okay, I've seen the news reports. I've seen everything. I've read an entire book that freaked me out. Uh, and so these nerves came out of nowhere right at the last second. Were Did you, I guess, have a little bit of the same feelings? I mean, compare, because you were both at, at, uh, at both events. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I'd heard that Nairobi like can be iffy, but uh, like from a security point of view, no, I had no fears. I mean, I've kind of been around to different places enough to know. Like two years ago, they were held in Cali in Colombia, which is obviously, you know, has a reputation for crime as well. But you always, like the media, coming up to any championship, the media clings to these things. And I know we as people in the media, I suppose, are as guilty of it as anyone when we bring up the Zika virus and the crime rates and stuff like that. Or whether it's like Beijing Olympics, it was smog. Athens, it was like none of the stuff is going to be ready. Um, Rio, it was like crime everywhere, Zika everywhere. You know, it's just like something for the media to talk about. I've kind of learned on the build up to championships to freak people out. And uh, I think it's... It's kind of they have a lot of a lot to answer for in what they do to the reputations of the host countries in those scenarios. So I know Kenya, it has its problems, obviously, like any kind of 
country that's obviously far from the first world. Um, but like out the countryside where I was in E10, I've, I just said this to my friend when I got home tonight, they were literally the friendliest people I've ever met in the world. And they would like jump through hoops to send you in the right direction or walk you to your place or help you out if possible. Um, and I can't wait to go back. It was it was incredible. Um, I guess there were it was a bit of apprehension, knowing okay, I'm going on my own here for a week. I knew a, I knew a guy up in E10, so I was hanging out with him, an Irish guy, for a week, and then back in Nairobi, kind of when you're part of the championship, you know, as you know, things are kind of organised. You get on the you get get to the airport, you get a shuttle bus to the hotel. It's very easy once the championship starts not to be kind of fending for yourself. But first week fending for myself up in E10 and Eldoret, it was uh, it was fun, you know. They have a matatu up there that you you pay like probably like 50 cents, I'd say, and you, you ride it for like an hour. And they cram an obscene amount of people into this like beat up old van that's about 20 years old and it rides along the road at like 30 miles an hour and swerves onto the gravel every now and again. And at one point this lady got on with her two kids and a chicken and there was like a chicken running around beneath our feet. Um, but again, absolutely lovely people. And everyone kind of wants to know as soon as they, they see the white man, the Mazungu, they all kind of wonder like where you're from and they love asking <laughs> questions about your country. And like, again, couldn't have had a better experience over there. Uh, that sounds better than the New York City subway, which you experienced too. Uh, and now it's this entire <laughs> summer, it's like a nightmare. Um, it's, this is going to sound like a total parent question, but how was the food? Um, it was not bad. Uh, I was staying at, at Lorna Kiplegat's camp, everything. And obviously they have so many serious athletes, like Mo Farrell was there a couple of years ago on the British team and lots of kind of international teams have based themselves there. Um, the Turkish, there's a few Turkish athletes there when I was there. So like they prepare everything really well, hygienically. Um, I had Ugali for the first time. So, uh, that, that gets old pretty quickly. I have to say, <laughs> um, hats off to the Kenyans who were able to eat it every day happily, <laughs> but, uh, without a bit of sauce or something, it's kind of just a bit as stodgy for my taste. And I say that as an Irishman, um, who obviously loves potatoes, but, uh, <laughs> it was the food was actually pretty good i did i have to admit i did come down with a bit of a stomach bug for about two days in the middle so i had a shaky couple of days but uh the good the good medics there took care of me and i was back to health pretty quickly um all right and then we'll get right right into what everyone's talking about the attendance uh what was it like i guess within the stadium how loud was it and there's been i guess a little bit of confusion how did, were people scoring tickets to this thing? Was it was it all free? Were some people paid? Uh, what was that set up? So originally they obviously made it like usual events, i.e. a ticketed event, and it was going to be all ticketed. But, you know, I, I mean, the tickets were cheap, but uh, again, you know, I mean, it is a poor country. People, they don't have a whole lot of disposable income, even if people do want to go to these things. And I think probably possibly maybe the promotion wasn't like brilliant amongst the general population i'm sure all the athletics fans knew it was on but not the sort of general population so these kind of championships i found especially when it's not like a senior championships when it's like a world juniors or something um you know a world cross country it kind of takes a bit of time almost for people to realize that it's on so um initially it was a ticketed event and for like it's a five-day event the world under 18 championships so for the first like day or two it was quiet um now the people the, the few thousand fans who were in the stadium i mean it looked like it looked like there was nobody there i don't know if it was five thousand or eight thousand or ten thousand but it like when you're in a sixty thousand seater stadium it looks like nothing even if they're making a big noise um and then after two days i think there was a discussion held with the organizers as in 
how can we how can we get this attendance up a bit um so word was starting to spread naturally i think people, more people were actually starting to buy tickets but not at the rate they were hoping for so they made a decision i think it was the third out of the five days where they said they were going to let people in for free um and i'm not sure if it was the third or the fourth day that actually started happening but on the fourth day there was like a huge change on, on the third day was the friday and it got really big and this agent i know who lives in kenya and he kind of knows the ways the kenyans operate in terms of finding out the blood stuff and jumping on the bandwagon and getting behind their nation's heroes um i remember he texted me on friday evening and he said tomorrow in here is going to be absolutely crazy it's going to be like jamaica <laughs> Jamaica times two and uh, the next day I texted him on the Saturday evening and said well you called that one correct so on the Saturday and Sunday it was free admission which actually upset some people understandably people who bought tickets and then um, they like they have a designated area and seat and then they arrive to learn that everywhere has just been opened up and they have to you know sit wherever they can get um, so, so needless to say that they weren't best pleased the people who bought the tickets but for everyone else I mean it was I think 50,000 just over 50,000 on the Saturday and it was crazy and then on the Sunday, went to the championship and I got there. I think it started at 4 p.m. I got there about 2.30 and I was on, on the way in. I was just looking at the crowds like from two miles away from the stadium, there was four and five people across the footpaths, the sidewalks, walking along the roads. I just said to myself, holy mother of God, this is uh, either there's nobody in the stadium now or like everybody's out here already. And then I got into the stadium more than an hour before the first event. It was like 60% full. So out of like 60,000 seats, it was like 35,000. Half an hour before the first event, 60,000 out of 60,000 seats were full. And again, I didn't get to see outside, but some of the journalists who came in later later than me said it was, I heard anywhere from 15 to 25,000 people outside the stadium. Um, and I saw a few pictures, obviously for safety reasons, they had to, closed the doors after a while but it was madness um beautiful madness but madness nonetheless and they had like a great village outside the stadium as well where they had like all these maasai souvenir craftsmen and stuff selling their paintings and then they had a big stage where like they were playing live music and all the cannons were dancing so it was uh the most surreal but brilliant atmosphere i think i've ever experienced in athletics would you what souvenirs did you pick up i the the, the bracelets are, are the must-have <laughs> The bracelet is the most have. I have one on my wrist here. Um, there's an Olympic corner up in E10 that sells bracelets, and they they personalise them. But uh, I didn't give it enough days to get mine personalised. But I got the the Kenyan flag bracelet, which I'm proudly wearing. Um, I picked up some uh, some Kenyan uh, merchandise and gear, and a couple of paintings of Maasai things. Um, so yeah, I've a uh, I'll have a fight with my friends and family for who gets what. I think over the next week. <laughs> uh back to to the crowd for a second uh nick willis was the one who i guess tweeted out retweeted the photo uh, of the stands and how full they were and he said that this is why there needs to be a kenya versus ethiopia dual meet a home and away in nairobi and Addis uh abiba and i mean i can totally get behind that idea it's track so like i'm not expecting it to be crazy intense like a like a soccer rivalry but from you being there, did you sense any sort of tension between the two sides? 
Not really. I, I talked to a lot of Kenyans about the Ethiopians uh, and how they felt about Ethiopians. And like I think in general, from far away, you kind of assume they really don't like each other. But I think that's just in a sporting sense, the way, you know, the way the the way the New England Patriots fans hate the New York Giants fans and vice versa. You know, it's um, it's it's no more than that. I think once it comes to life and sports, they get on great and they get on well. But uh, as, as a lot of Kenyans said to me, when it comes to the track, they're the enemy and the Ethiopians are the ones that, that take the medals from them. Um, so, yeah, they very much don't cheer for the Ethiopians. But, like, the crowd were so good all week. It was, it was the best crowd I've ever experienced for supporting everyone. Um, and I, I will add with the caveat of besides Ethiopians, because obviously anytime an Ethiopian does well, it means a Kenyan is not doing well in a middle distance event. But uh, so the only time during the week that the place would fall silent was when an Ethiopian was on his way to gold or her way to gold. <laughs> um, it would just be this stony silence from like 60,000 people screaming to just nothing in the space of 10 seconds when they realized the Ethiopian was pulling away, um, so which be, was kind of funny. But like, it would yeah. be silent. It, wasn't, it wouldn't be booze at all. No, it wouldn't be booze. It wouldn't. They wouldn't like be negative towards Ethiopians. It would just be stunned yeah. silence and people talking amongst <laughs> themselves. But I mean, like every other athlete, I mean, they got crazy behind them. There would be people doing warm ups. Like these, these Kenyans were doing the warm ups and the high jump, and they were doing it with the traditional Kenyan technique that they do in the schools competitions. So, like while you had high jumpers jumping like two twenty, you'd have a Kenyan coming in jumping like one seventy, one eighty. You know, basically hurdling it with his two knees out front, and it was <laughs> the crowd started laughing at them as well when they'd fail. Uh, it was kind of funny, and then there was like Kenyan hammer throwers who were, needless to say, not exactly very competitive for the medals, and uh, the crowd were whooping, hollering before uh, they'd take their attempts, and then they'd be kind of laughing when they realized that it went like half as far as everywhere else. But like, they paid such close attention, I noticed, to the field events as well. You know, if a javelin was midair, they'd still be cheering, they'd still be cheering. And then if it came, if the lead was like 70 meters and it came down at like, you know, 65 meters, they'd, uh, they'd like go, oh, there'd be a big kind of like sigh through the crowd of disappointment. So it was incredible to me that in a distance running obsessed nation such as Kenya, they actually paid extremely close attention to all the field events and even all the sprints events. Yeah, I'm sure. What's his name? Julius Diego has played a role in at least growing uh, that sort of attention there. Uh, what was the craziest uh, race that you saw? I heard the the women's eight was was pretty wild. Eight hundred was uh, I think a one two for Kenya. Um, it was I forget her first name. One Bowie of Kenya won it, and it was she ran two oh one, and it was just two minutes of absolute madness um magnificent <laughs> madness it was from the gun it was crazy loud and it just gradually went up a notch every 100 meters until the last 100 meters i just walked out i was on my laptop up in the tribune and you know yourself when you're at these things you're kind of tucked back at the back of the grandstand um so i just said you know what for this few minutes i'm going i'm walking right out there out to the front and just standing there and looking around and i kind of looked at the stands more so than the track um, just because it was the most amazing sight I've seen and the most amazing noise. I mean, I was in the Olympic Stadium in 2012 for uh, when Mo Farah won the 5K, and it was 80,000 uh, Londoners screaming their minds off in a close race, and it was either on par or louder than that, which I just I can't quite believe that they managed to create that sort of noise for a you know 16-year-old girls running in 800 meters. Um, it was incredible. 
That's pretty. That's crazy. And then there was also like the insane comeback in one of the early days, I think, where it was the there was I think it might have been an Italian kid went from fifth to to winning the whole thing within the last like two hundred fifty meters. Was that like the five k, I think, or something? Um, I'm not sure. The longest distance was a three k. Uh, so yeah, it I kind of. Yeah, I was so um. I'm trying to remember back through the races. I probably I actually it's been such a haze that I kind of need to sit down and watch some of those races back because uh, you know sometimes when you're stuck at a championship, you can be caught in the mix zone or caught on your laptop and not kind of get the chance to absorb it. So kind of towards the end of the week, all right, I started uh I started making sure that I I just walked out and wasn't looking at my phone or Twitter or the laptop and was actually just taking in the atmosphere and and the races themselves. What do you think uh, the countries that didn't send anyone out there, like the U.S. and uh, Great Britain, what do you think they missed out on? I think I understand it from like an organizational standpoint. I know uh, I tweeted out a few things, as some other people did, and people like Alan Abrahamson kind of challenged me on it and saying, you know, what well, it was the last edition of these championships, so why would they send one? But I think that's a very easy cop-out for nations to, to use to say that the last edition of a championship doesn't justify sending someone. I think especially wealthy nations like the United States, like the UK, I know the Irish team, you know, our team would be like three athletes, so it's kind of different to the other nations like Australia, UK, US. Um, I think they have a duty to the sport to support events like this when, when they can't competition is going ahead i think they should be sending teams um i get the security risk but i mean if you had seen around the stadium i mean and the promises the kenyan government were making that nothing would go wrong you would understand that there was as, as minimal a security risk as imagine as you could possibly imagine i mean there were thousands of soldiers surrounding the stadium surrounding the hotels like any and some of the employees the volunteers were telling me that like the kenyan president had issued a directive that nothing can possibly go wrong all week because they were so concerned with having inviting the world into their home and the potential for hosting future championships that they were so keen to get everything right and like they did i mean for for a country that's never hosted a world championship like this of any kind you know bringing up the nations in soccer but they've never had anything like this um over such with so many countries coming you know they've had the world cross 10 years ago but that's a one-day event this is like a a whole different ball game really um so to the job they did in terms of like the transport the media facilities like the internet the volunteers were as friendly as you could ever meet and running running things on time and getting that crowd in the stadium it was a phenomenal job and nations that stayed home i think they maybe realize now what they missed out on but maybe thought beforehand this is an easy one to save money on this won't be a great championship and i'm so happy for kenya that they managed to prove to those nations prove those nations that stayed home wrong and basically show them what they were missing for nations who were unwilling to come compete in the championship in africa that's well said there um yeah i mean so in the grand scheme of things like yeah it was a great weeks worth of, of competition but money wise i think that's what always drives the conversation in terms of oh can they host like a like a senior championship and unfortunately because i guess they had to open up the doors for free that's the one i guess counter argument that they might have there uh in terms of like could kenya host this on the senior level someday that's the big bump against them but uh no i mean it was definitely a great great showing and it was entertaining to see all the videos and photos coming out of there i'm gonna put you on the spot right now 
bit on the on the athletes here. Uh, who is the most impressive kid out there that you think we should remember the name from? And or and it could be the same person, but who do you think will be the most likely to medal in Tokyo if anyone out of this this group of people does? Uh, I was personally fascinated by Brayden Poole, who you who you wrote about. Um, there was a great article. If you haven't read it, you can check it out on the IWF's website. Um, South African kid jumps almost two feet over his height. He's a five seven kid, clear seven four. Uh, got it on Sports Center last night on uh, on <laughs> Monday night. So that was uh, that was pretty fun. Uh, so who's uh, your name to watch and remember? Yeah, it was funny that just as an aside, because one of the things that Al Abrahamson said to me was like, you know, who, what media is going to go to a World Under-18 <laughs> Championship, how, given how far away it is, and, you know, there's no, who's going to buy their stories? And then I was just laughing. I thought of that tweet yesterday or today when I saw what you posted of, in, of uh, Sports Center and, like, the fact that America's biggest TV sports show without even an American team competing is doing a little feature on this South African kid who managed to jump like almost two feet above his head. It was just funny. Um, that kid is like super talented. I mean, I have to admit that unless he grows a bit, maybe the heights of, of the, like the two forties might be beyond him. Hopefully not though, because it's such a great story and he's like a really likable personality. I think the, the biggest star of the week, maybe Dejour Russell uh, would be the name to remember Jamaican 110 meter hurdles champion. Um, I can't remember his time exactly now. It was like 13.0 something uh, to win other shorter hurdles than the senior height, but he finished fourth in the Jamaican senior championships already this year in like 13.3, I think he ran. He is, uh, he looked like he was like twice the size. The hurdles were like half the size they needed to be for him. He was like stutter stepping over them. He was like uh, some. He was like an American footballer doing drills in preseason, stepping over those little tiny hurdles. Just the way he looked, um, it was just comical to see. And he made. He looked like a man amongst the boys, but he is like when you see him up close and hear him talk, he is still a kid. He's only seventeen years old, and with natural improvement and hopefully staying injury free, you'll will definitely be seeing him as a sub thirteen. Uh, 110 meter hurdler, I think, in the years to come. So the Jamaican David Oliver is what's in the works, uh, is what it sounds like. Um, Absolutely. So you'll be in London, right? Yep, I'm going to London. Um, I'll be juggling balls there again. I'll be working IWF, uh, Runners World, and some Irish newspaper stuff. So looking forward to London very much. Um, if they can, if they can scream like the Kenyans can, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a great championship. Gotcha. I won't be there. I'll be out in Flagstaff doing a little bit of altitude training before I do. I go to Berlin and run in September. Um, I'm also going to meet up with a couple of the other uh, writers from uh, from Sidious, but uh, I'll be in London in spirit. Uh, Kethel, uh, you guys can follow him on Twitter. Uh, what's your Twitter handle there? It's uh, it's Kethel, C-A-T-H-A-L underscore Dennehy, D-E-N-N-E-H-Y. There it is. And uh, you guys can find his work all over the place. Uh, Run, blog, run, runner's world, but IAAF, Spikes. Uh, So, yeah, be sure to follow him on Twitter. And uh, thanks again for doing this. Thank you very much, Chris. It's been a pleasure. That episode was brought to you by the Sidious Mac newsletter. Visit SidiousMac.com and subscribe to get the best of the website in your inbox once a week. 
we'll be back next week with another episode guest to be determined but leave a five-star review on itunes and in the review let me know who you want to get on the show and i'll do my best to deliver catch you next week